What is going on, sports fans, and welcome into season four, episode 14 of the Jack of All Trades Sports Podcast. And we've got a loaded episode for you this week. We're going to start off with some breaking news in the NFL. Cleveland Browns quarterback Deshaun Watson has been suspended six games by Judge Sue L. Robinson. So Watson will be suspended six games pending appeal from the NFL. We're going to talk about what that means for Watson, what that means for the Browns. Is this whole situation finally in the past? Can we finally look ahead to football season? Also talk about should the NFL appeal? Will Do I think they will appeal? And much, much more regarding that situation. We're also going to talk about some Major League Baseball. The MLB trade deadline is tomorrow August 2nd at 4 p.m. I'm going to talk about what moves I think could be made across the league, what moves the Cleveland Guardians should make, give you kind of a Cleveland Guardians wish list for the trade deadline, and talk about the Cleveland Guardians play as of late, just coming off an 11-game road trip going 6-5 and five against three teams that were looking to make the playoffs. It was a very encouraging stretch as of late for the Guardians, and I'll talk about where they go from here. And we're going to end the episode with a little bit of a college football preview in the MAC, the Mid-American Conference. Obviously, that's the conference that Kent State's in. It's the conference that I cover on a weekly basis. And I got to go to the MAC Media Football Day last week. I'll play some interviews with Kent State football players Dante Cephas and Zane West and Kent State head coach Sean Lewis and talk about what I see the MAC doing this year as a conference and who I think will face off in the MAC Championship at Ford Field in Detroit. So we are going to get to all of that. But first, as always, this episode is brought to you by Anchor. Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast, creation tools, editing tools, everything you need to make your very own podcast right from your phone or computer. So if you want to make your very own podcast, here's what you need to do. You need to download the free Anchor app from the App Store, Google Play Store, Microsoft Store today, or log online to anchor.fm. That is anchor.fm to get started with your very own podcast today. And today is Monday, August 1st. Let's go. And welcome into season four, episode 14 of the Jack of All Trades Sports Podcast. And we start with some breaking news. And that breaking news involves Cleveland Browns quarterback Deshaun Watson. And it broke about 40 minutes ago. Judge Sue L. Robinson informing both parties 
of her decision, and the media got it too, and so we have the reaction and the decision to talk about right now. So Browns quarterback Deshaun Watson has been suspended for the first six games of the 2022 season by jointly appointed disciplinary officer, formal former federal judge Sue L. Robinson, per sources. Now, this is pending appeal. So right now, Deshaun Watson is suspended for six games, which means Deshaun Watson could make his season debut October 23rd in Baltimore against the Ravens. But this is pending appeal. And I say that because, as we mentioned on last week's show, as we've mentioned throughout this process, Roger Goodell, the NFL commissioner, is still the judge, jury, and executioner in these cases. This federal arbiter in Judge Sue Robinson was mutually agreed upon in the collective bargaining agreement between the NFL Players Association and the NFL, but worked into the language of having this third-party arbiter is that if the arbiter uh, deems that the player, in this case Deshaun Watson, violated the the NFL's code of conduct, which Deshaun Watson was ruled that he did violate the code of conduct and he was suspended six games as his punishment, that Roger Goodell can appeal that and then he ultimately gets to make the decision how many games Deshaun Watson is suspended. So right now, Watson is suspended six games. The NFL Players Association came out with a statement last night ahead of this ruling saying that they were not going to appeal. And I'll go ahead and read that statement for you guys. Um, so last night, how this whole timeline went, it was reported, I believe Josina Anderson had it first. She said that, she said that the decision would come Monday morning from Sue Robinson by 9am. And right after that, the NFL Players Association released a joint statement with Deshaun Watson. And here's what it said, quote, In advance of Judge Robinson's decision, we wanted to reiterate the facts of this proceeding. First, we have fully cooperated with every NFL inquiry and provided the NFL with the most comprehensive set of information for any personal conduct policy investigation. A A former federal judge appointed jointly by the NFL Players Association, the NFL, held a full and fair hearing has read thousands of pages of investigative documents and reviewed arguments from both sides impartially. Every player, owner, business partner, and stakeholder deserves to know that our process is legitimate and will not be tarnished based on the whims of the league office. This is why, regardless of her decision, Deshaun Watson of the NFL Players Association will stand by her ruling and we call on the NFL to do the same. That was the joint statement by the NFL Players Association, Deshaun Watson, last night ahead of Judge Robinson's decision today. And of course, they have, we have that decision now. We know it's going to be six games. But Roger Goodell has three days to decide if uh, the NFL actually has three days to file an appeal. And this appeal would be heard by Roger Goodell. Or someone Roger Goodell appoints, which basically means the ball is in Roger Goodell's hands. And like I said before, Roger Goodell is the judge, jury, and executioner, and he has the final say. Now, do I think the NFL will appeal this? No. Do I think the NFL should appeal this? I also say no. Here's why. 
I get that the NFL wanted, it going into this process with Judge Sue Robinson, with Deshaun Watson, I realized that the National Football League wanted Deshaun Watson to be suspended for a year or be suspended indefinitely. They wanted to come off showing that they wanted to be tough on Deshaun Watson and they wanted to make the right PR move by looking like they were, you know, sticking up to sexual assault, which or, or sexual misconduct, which is a thing the NFL has not been very hard on recently. But here's the problem with that. One, there is precedent in cases like this. You look at Ben Roethlisberger, okay? There's precedent. He was suspended six games, which actually is what Deshaun Watson ended up getting. Two, I mentioned the collective bargaining agreement earlier, that the NFL and the Players Association came together and said this is a collectively bargained agreement that Judge Sue Robinson, the federal arbiter, is going to make this decision. This is the first ruling in which a federal arbiter is making the suspension decision, which means what is it going to set? It's going to set a precedent. I don't think it's a good look for the league. I talked about last week how I don't think it's a good look for the league if they overrule a woman's opinion and her ruling on a sexual misconduct case and the overruling is done by a rich white man who's a billionaire. Not a good look optics-wise. But it's also not a good look if the NFL basically throws it back in the Players Association face and is like, yeah, we collectively bargained that the decision was going to be made by a third-party federal arbiter, but none of that matters. Roger Goodell is going to make the decision anyway. And it's going to set a precedent. Basically, the NFL can do whatever it wants. And I don't think that's going to be a, a, a good look for the NFL. And I don't think they want to set that precedent in the first ca- uh, case of this magnitude with a federal arbiter making the recommendation on how long a player should be suspended. So those are the two reasons why I think it's a bad look for the league. And do I think they will appeal? Do I think they should appeal? I say no. I say no. They don't want to set a precedent, one. They don't want to set a precedent. They don't want future cases where players are going to be suspended. They don't want it to look like that Roger Goodell has all the power. That is number one. So setting precedent is number one reason why... The NFL, I don't think, will appeal this. Number two, I think the suspension and the ruling is a fair ruling. It's six games. It was reported it would be between two and eight games. And it was reported it was going to be between two and eight games, and that's exactly what it was. I said last on last week's show I thought it was going to be eight games. Obviously, it was uh, a little less than eight games, and I think that's a win for the Cleveland Browns. I think that is a win for the Cleveland Browns. And another reason why I don't think they're going to appeal is because it's the third time, if the NFL appeals, it'll be the third time, um, the fourth time actually, it's before another party making a decision. The first two times it was by a grand jury who decided not to indict him. Those were the first two times. The third time was Judge Sue L. Robinson. So Judge Shuel Robinson, it's been the, it's the third time Watson's case has been before a judge. 
counting the two grand jury rulings, like I said. At this point, as the union sees it, that's enough. I don't think the league will fight Robinson's ruling, whatever it is. I just don't see it happening. I think Roger Goodell is going to accept this ruling because, A, I think it's a fair ruling, all things considered. The NFL's case was not strong enough to get the year or indefinite suspension that they wanted to get. It was not strong enough. Two, because they don't want to set precedent that the NFL and that Sue Robinson's opinion don't matter, and they don't want to piss off the Players Association. And the big one that I forgot to mention, the third reason, is that in the NFL's personal conduct policy, it is stated that owners, National Football League owners, are held to a higher standard than players, and their suspensions should warrant that fact. If that is the case, why has Daniel Snyder, the owner of the Washington Commanders, and Robert Kraft, the owner of the New England Patriots, who are accused of similar and I would say worse accusations than Deshaun Watson, why have they not been disciplined if in your own personal conduct policy, which is the basis you were suspending Deshaun Watson on says that owners are subject to stricter punishment than players. It is a horrendous look, horrendous look for the NFL. If they go ahead and suspend Watson, definitely when you got Daniel Snyder, who is actively hiding in Italy on a yacht and Robert Kraft getting off for doing the same thing. When the language in your personal conduct policy states otherwise, and I'm sure this is just a coincidence, but Pro Football Talk pointed it out. The personal conduct policy, which Deshaun Watson has been suspended for violating, has suddenly disappeared from the items made available to the media at the NFL Communications website. So take that for, take that for what it's worth. So I, I want to talk about some other things that Judge Sue Robinson said in her decision before we get to you know, what this means for Watson and what this means for the Browns. So the first things first, Deshaun Watson has been suspended for the first six games of the 2022 season by Sue Robinson. Some other, uh, some other things that were in her decision, Deshaun Watson will not be fined any additional amount of money. So he will only be losing the money that he was set to make in terms of game checks for those first six games of the season. So no additional fine for Deshaun Watson. The third thing, Judge Sue L. Robinson's decision also says Deshaun Watson must get all his massage therapy from club therapists, which I take as not only are we disciplining, disciplining, discipline, disciplining, <laughs> disciplining, such a strange word to say. I thought I was saying it wrong, but I was totally saying it right. Disciplining him for what he has done, what he has been accused of. But Judge Sue Raul Robinson is also trying to prevent further actions from Deshaun Watson by requiring his massage therapy be from club therapists. And thirdly, Judge Sue Robinson's decision says, quote, Deshaun Watson's pattern of behavior was egregious, but notes that his behavior was, quote, nonviolent sexual conduct, which is why she gave him six games as opposed to the year that the NFL wanted. So that is what 
the ruling from Judge Sue L. Robinson is. Six games, no additional fine for Deshaun Watson. He has to get his massage therapy from club therapists. And there, basically, Sue Robinson said there wasn't enough evidence. And the NFL's case was not strong enough to get a year, so they got six games. I thought eight, uh, eight games was what it, what it was going to be all along. It turns out it's six games. Also worth noting that Deshaun Watson is allowed to participate in training camp. He is allowed to participate in preseason games. He's not allowed to practice the first three weeks of the season, but is allowed to be back in the facility in week four. That is, of course, if this six-game suspension holds, which, like I told you guys, I think it is going to. I think six games will end up what it is in its totality. I don't think the NFL Roger Goodell is going to appeal this because I don't think they want to stay in the headache. That's what I think of that whole situation. So football-wise, what does this mean for the Browns? Well, what does this mean for the Browns? Well, first off, it means that Deshaun Watson will not be available for the first six games of the season. Here are the Browns' first six opponents this season. Obviously, week one, we all know they play at Carolina versus the Panthers. That's week one. Week two, they return home against the Jets. Week three, they have the Steelers Thursday Night Football. Week four, at Atlanta. Week five, versus the Chargers. Week six, versus the Patriots. So their first six opponents at Carolina versus the Jets versus the Steelers at the Falcons versus the Chargers versus the Patriots. In my opinion, I would say those first six games are winnable for the Cleveland Browns, even with Jacoby Brissett at quarterback. And it is absolutely crucial. Obviously, the Browns are going to have Deshaun Watson for the final 11 games of the season, but they are also going to have him for five divisional games. The only divisional game he is missing is week three at home Thursday night football versus the Steelers, which in my opinion, I think is the most winnable game without Deshaun Watson in terms of division for the Cleveland Browns. Watson will be there for both Cincinnati games. He'll be there for both Baltimore games and he will be there for week 18 versus the Pittsburgh Steelers. And in my opinion, that not only strengthens the Browns' chance to make the playoffs, it strengthens the Browns' chances to win the AFC North division. In terms of what this means for Watson, I think this means Deshaun Watson can finally, A, start to focus on the football season, and B, finally, finally start to put this whole situation behind him. Before the news broke this morning that Watson was suspended six games, Watson and his team settled three of the remaining four lawsuits against him. If you remember, they settled 20 in June. They settled three this morning. So there is only one civil case against Deshaun Watson. Watson's been suspended six games pending appeal. I think Watson can finally put this whole situation behind him and look towards the future as the quarterback of the Cleveland Browns on the field. What I think this means for the Browns is that the playoffs are definitely in play and that this season is not lost in any sense of the means. 
The first four games, the Browns are still favored without Deshaun Watson against Carolina, the Jets, the Steelers, and the Falcons. The Browns are favored in those games. Add on the Chargers and the Patriots. If you guys want my honest opinion, I think the worst the Browns could go to give themselves a chance at the playoff in the AFC North Division is 3-3. Three and three. But I'm looking at the schedule, and I realistically see the Browns going 4-2. and two. Realistically, I see the Browns going 4-2, and two, even with Jacoby Brissett as their quarterback. I think six games is short enough for the Browns to be able to withstand Watson's absence. I think they're going to go 4-2 and two or 3-3 three and three in this stretch and set themselves up in the last 11 games to make a run at the AFC North Division and make a run at a potential playoff spot. I think this is an absolute win for the Browns. I think this is a win for Deshaun Watson. And I think all things considered, based off the the reportings we've heard about the league and how bad uh, they did basically at the trials uh, with Judge Sue Robinson, I think this is honestly a win for the league that he even got six games. But the news is Deshaun Watson has been suspended six games he will miss the first six games, and his debut for the Browns this year will be Week 7, October 23rd, at Baltimore against the Ravens, and his home debut in front of those fans at First Energy Stadium, Week 8, Halloween night, Monday night football against the Cincinnati Bengals, and what a scene that will be. Throughout this recording, we still have our tweet notifications on. We will give you any breaking news that happens regarding this. Maybe the NFL decides they want to appeal or decides they don't want to appeal. Obviously, like I said, they have three days, but that three days starts now. So we could have that decision while we were recording. We could have a lots of other news regarding this while we are recording and I am going to training camp later today in Berea. So I will have some videos, maybe some fan reactions about this suspension. So be sure to follow me on Twitter at Jack Bernie TV at the real J Burns. If you want to see that reaction, but Deshaun Watson suspended six games by Sue Robinson. And it looks like this thing is nearing an end. This whole mess is nearing an end. Watson has settled 23 out of 24 cases and the Browns look like they will have their star quarterback week seven against the Ravens and it looks like pending appeal the Browns are going to be definitely players in the AFC North division and players for a playoff spot this year and years to come but all in all I think we can all agree it is finally time to move past this suspension, move past the speculation, move past Judge Sue Robinson and Deshaun Watson watch 2022, and finally move forward toward a football season that is rapidly approaching, that is just a little over five weeks away. Keep it locked here. We are going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we have any more breaking news regarding the Deshaun Watson situation, as well as MLB trade deadline, Cleveland Guardians trade deadline preview, Cleveland Guardians recap as of late, and we also talk about the MAC football season and what to expect from the Kent State Golden Flashes and the rest of the Mid-American Conference. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back after a word from Anchor. And welcome back to Season 4, Episode 14 of the Jack of All Trades Sports Podcast. I promise we are going to get to both 
the Cleveland Guardians and the trade deadline, their play as of late, what I think the Guardians should do at the trade deadline, as well as our MAC football preview. But first, there is some more. It's not really news, but it's just kind of things I wanted to talk to you guys about regarding the Deshaun Watson um, suspension and potential NFL appeal. So, like I said earlier in this episode, you guys have already heard it. I don't think the NFL is going to appeal this for a number of reasons. A, because it sets precedent. B, because of the skeletons in the closets of their owners like Jerry Jones, Daniel Snyder, Robert Kraft. And D, because I don't think the NFL wants the headache. And here is what Albert Breer had to say. This broke just minutes ago. Um, He tweeted uh, some more on the Deshaun Watson process. And I just want to read some of these tweets to you guys and talk about why it kind of strengthens my argument that I think the NFL is not going to appeal. So the first tweet he said was, Sue L. Robinson's decision wasn't based on the 24 lawsuits. It was based on five cases brought by the NFL. So yes, there are a lot more accusations against Watson, but Robinson's decision is based on the five cases that the NFL presented her with. So the NFL chose five out of these 24 cases. They presented them to federal judge Sue L. Robinson. And apparently from all indications, what we've heard, all the leaks and the breaks that we've had over the last couple, two to four weeks, were that the NFL did not do a great job presenting these to Sue Robinson, which kind of speaks to why it's six games. So that's the first tweet. Second tweet, the NFL and the NFL Players Association negotiated this process in 2020, and the league agreed to it in part because some owners, after so many missteps and discipline over the last decade, wanted the NFL to take a step back in that arena and, in essence, outsource some of it. So they wanted the the owners wanted the decision-making process for suspensions of players to be outsourced from the NFL to a third-party arbiter like Sue Robinson. Third tweet. So Roger Goodell slash the NFL's decision here is complicated. Do they want to undermine a process that they just established? Which is a good question Albert Breer brings up and which kind of connects to what I'm saying. Do they really want to, you know, piss off, uh, excuse me to use that terminology, but make the uh, Players Association angry and kind of like, just crumble up the the decision that was collectively bargained and collectively agreed with the Players Association and the league and just throw it out for the first case. They don't want to establish that precedent, in my opinion. The second one is, do they want to go back to federal court with a player? Last time they did it was Tom Brady. It didn't work out well. It was a whole thing that played out publicly. I don't know if the NFL wants that headache. The fourth tweet Albert Breer sends. Here's where it gets really, really interesting. If the NFL appeals and Goodell overturns, it could actually lead to Watson playing in the season opener week one against the Carolina Panthers. If Watson were to file a lawsuit, the union slash his camp would likely seek a TRO, which is a temporary restraining order, to put a stay on the suspension. If they got one, he would be able to play for the Browns while the case was in court. So the NFL now has three days to appeal. Um, I'd imagine they'd be paying close attention to public reaction over that time. And if they do appeal, it has to be based on Robinson's process. The facts of the cases presented are already established. So does the NFL really want this to drag out longer? And do they really, really want Watson to have a chance to play week one? I think the answer is no. 
Um, I think the answer is no. I think it's going to be six games. I don't think the NFL is going to appeal. I think it's going to be six games. And I think the Browns, like I said, have a very, very, very good chance to make the playoffs with Deshaun Watson only being suspended six games. They have an ultra-talented roster. Even with Jacoby Brissett at quarterback, they have one of the best offensive lines in football. And the offensive line just got a little bit healthier as it was announced just a couple of minutes ago, Jack Conklin, the Browns' offensive tackle, is activated off the pup list, which means he can start practicing with the team. They have one of the best offensive lines in football. They have the best running back backfield in football with Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, Dearness Johnson, and add in Jerome Ford. They have one of a top, I would say, 20 receiver in football in Amari Cooper. They have a top 15 tight end in David Njoku. Defensively, they have a top three defensive player in all the NFL in Miles Garrett. They have a top five corner in Denzel Ward, and the defensive unit is really, really strong. This team is good enough to go four and two and five and one without Deshaun Watson in those first six games. And this season is now playoffs or bust for the Browns with Watson only gone six games pending appeal. But there's another tweet I want to talk about before we get to the Cleveland Guardians, and that is Diana Rossini, who is a reporter for ESPN. She's a fantastic reporter. Um, she tweeted this uh just a couple minutes ago, and it says, quote, I spoke to a GM in the league about this six-game suspension just to get more reaction. And this is what the GM said, and this GM is grasping for straws here. He's trying to turn a mountain, a, a molehill into a mountain, you know? It's like, I'll just read what, what he said. The GM said, quote, the league wants to hold their players to high standards. Image is critical to keep growing the female fan base. I'd be surprised if the NFL doesn't appeal for that reason. What? What? The NFL, if they do add games on, and when I say the NFL can appeal and change this, it means they can add games. It means, in theory, they could take away games. It means they could make it a full year. They have, like, all the power here. But if they decide to appeal, it will not be because they are worried about the female fan base. I can guarantee this anonymous GM that. I just don't think that is... I just don't think that is what, what's going on here. I, that's just my opinion. And the last thing in the Watson thing. I've already said my thoughts on it. I've already said the NFL shouldn't appeal. I've already said I think that six games is a very, very fair suspension for Deshaun Watson based off the five cases Judge Sue Robinson was presented by with from the NFL. And I've also said I think the Browns can withstand missing Watson for six games. A lot of people on the internet, you guys will see this, especially if you're on Twitter, especially if you're on Facebook, Instagram, whatever. Social media, a lot of other fan bases, especially in the AFC North, I might add, are going to be very, very upset about Deshaun Watson being able to play the majority of games this season. They're going to be very upset. But. One thing they're going to try and bring up to say how hypocritical the NFL is and how the NFL should appeal this and try to suspend him for a whole year is that 
Calvin Ridley got suspended a year for betting on FanDuel. Here's the difference between those two. Judge Robinson, who saw the Deshaun Watson case, who came with the ruling in the Deshaun Watson case of the six-game suspension, she was approved by the NFL and NFLPA. She recommended six games. The NFL wanted a full season. In Calvin Ridley's case, who got he got suspended a year for betting on games on FanDuel, the NFL, not a judge, not Sue Robinson, suspended Ridley for a full season. The NFL had final say there. The NFL still has final say here. They could step in and appeal. I just don't think they will. But it is two completely separate situations. So whoever is trying to bring up Calvin Ridley in this case, frankly, doesn't know what they're talking about. It is two different things. It is completely different set of circumstances. The league suspended Ridley. The league did not suspend Judge uh, Deshaun Watson. Judge Sue Robinson did. And that is what is going on with this Deshaun Watson thing. It looks like the end is finally near. And like I said, if during the course of this recording we get any news about the NFL wanting to appeal, I will definitely break in and talk about that and bring you my reaction. As well as you should follow me on Twitter. I mentioned it already in the first half of the episode. Follow me on Twitter at the Real J Burns. That's at the Real J Burns with a Z at the end instead of an S. And then you can also go follow me for my television Twitter, for my TV reporting at Jack Burney TV. I think I'm going to post some videos of training camp today, kind of to try and gauge the reception Deshaun Watson gets and all that good stuff. So be sure to follow me for that. All right, from the NFL to Major League Baseball and the Cleveland Guardians. And the Guardians, folks are only a game out of first place in the American League Central. The Guardians are only one game back in the Minnesota Twins in the AL Central for first place. And it is, it's not the halfway point of the season. It's a little over halfway point. The Guardians have actually played over 100 games. Right now, the Guardians sit at 52-49. and 49. They are a game back of the Minnesota Twins in the AL Central. They are a game and a half back of the Tampa Bay Rays in the American League Wild Card standings. But this point in the season is always, always very important. Today is August 1st. Normally, the trade deadline is on July 31st, but it is on August 2nd this year, so it is tomorrow. The Guardians have put themselves in a position to contend. You get, you're getting an unreal MVP-type campaign from Jose Ramirez. You're getting a very, very breakout campaign from guys like an Andre Jimenez, like Emmanuel Clase. It is a thread-the-needle year, I've said it time and time again, where the Guardians are trying to find out what young talent is going to be here next year and what young talent is a part of the future, which is why they've given guys like Nolan Jones, like Oscar Gonzalez, like Stephen Kwan, an extended opportunity in the big leagues. They've gotten some solid pitching performances, most notably from Tristan McKenzie. Shane Bieber's been better as of late. But this Guardians team find themselves at a crossroad at the trade deadline. They've shown that they can still compete while trying to develop young talent. They have threaded the needle, and I think they can do it till the end of the season. But this team needs to improve, ladies and gentlemen. They need to improve. They're a game out. You're one game back. You need to get better and try to win the division. 
I get that the goal this year was to develop young players. I get that the goal this year was to thread the needle. I've been saying it all year. But you've put yourself in a position where you're one game back of first place ahead of the trade deadline tomorrow. One game back of first place. You need to go, I don't want to say all in, but you need to seriously look at your prospects because you can't keep all of them on the 40-man roster. You need to seriously look at your major league roster and fix any holes that you can. You need to make sure these uh, any potential trades you make not only benefit the team now, but benefit the team in the future. But what I'm saying is you need to improve the roster one way or another because you're in the thick of the race right now. You can taste first place. You're a game out of first place. The Guardians are one game back of the Minnesota Twins for first place. And once you get in the dance, which is the playoffs, anything can happen, man. You just need to get hot. But you need to give yourself a chance by getting in. And I think that's why the Guardians are probably going to make at least one move at the trade deadline. But let's talk about let's talk about what I think they can do at the trade deadline. One name that has been floated around the Cleveland Guardians at the trade deadline is Sean Murphy of the Oakland Athletics, and it's been reported that the Guardians and A's have discussed catcher Sean Murphy. Apparently, those talks had not gained a lot of traction as of Sunday morning. The, the Oakland A's claim that they can just hang on to Murphy, who is under team control for another three and a half years until the offseason, and deal him in a more populated market. The A's have Shea Langeliers, a highly touted and major league ready catching prospect, waiting at AAA. Sean Murphy makes sense for the Guardians. He's an elite catcher both offensively and defensively, and we have, would be a massive upgrade over Luke Maley and Austin Hedges. Cleveland needs an offensive jolt at catcher, and Murphy, to summon the Cleveland Guardians organization, is an absolutely perfect fit. He's a former Gold Glove winner, he's an above-average hitter at the catching position, and he could mentor Bo Naylor in the coming years. Bo Naylor is the catcher of the future, in my opinion. He's been hitting the ball, cover off the ball in AAA, he's a great defender, he will be the starting catcher in a couple years. But the reason I think these talks haven't gained any traction is not because the Guardians don't want Sean Murphy. It's because the A's are, I think, asking too much for Sean Murphy. Uh, because the A's want outfield and high-end starting, high starting pitching prospects. So it's possible that the A's front office could be thinking along the lines of a George Valera, a Daniel Espino, a Gavin Williams, Cleveland's top three prospects. But I think you don't trade those guys unless you're getting a Juan Soto, in my opinion. I think the Guardians are thinking more along the lines of giving up top, uh, giving up some of their surplus and middle infield prospects like a Tyler Freeman, like a Gabriel Arias, like a Brian Rocchio, like someone of that nature. Plenty can happen as the deadline comes and the teams soften their stances, so to speak, but... As of right now, the Guardians and Sean Murphy, that is a guy to watch for the Cleveland Guardians. He makes perfect sense for this Guardians team. Another name that has surfaced in trade talks for the Guardians is Zach Plezak, and that the Guardians are going to trade him away. Uh, Plezak is under control for the, through the 2025 season. Um, 
and teams like the Philadelphia Phillies are apparently interested in Zach Plezak. I think Cleveland's front office should entertain inquiries about any of the organization's players, especially Zach Plezak. Um, Plezak said to the media the other day, quote, I have no say. I'm not going to read into it because I'm going to sit there and hope one thing's happen. One thing happens. I don't know if I'm being targeted. I know there have been talks, but at the end of the day, that takes care of itself. It's gossiping at this point. But if you can get a return for Plezak, who is under team control through 2025, I think the Guardians should explore trading him, and here's why. I've said it before. I'll say it again. The Guardians championship window wasn't supposed to open this year. It was supposed to open next year and last till the end of Jose Ramirez's contract. But the fact is that the window is open this year. But you still have to think towards the future. And when I look at this starting rotation specifically, there is only one guy that I can firmly circle and say, he is in my future rotation that is going to be pushing for World Series in 2025-2026. And that's Tristan McKenzie. Plezak, Savali, and Bieber especially. You can throw Quantrill in there too, but I'm a little more high on Quantrill than those three are definitely expendable in the coming years because A, they're not under team control for much longer. B, I think Daniel Espino, Logan Allen, Gavin Williams, who are waiting in the wings in AAA and AA, I think those guys realistically give you a better chance to win championships in the two to three years than Zach Plezak and Aaron Savali, which is why I think the Guardians should do their due diligence and look at who teams may be offering for starting pitchers like that, low-end, back-of-the-rotation starting pitchers. Like I, I said, Zach, please, Zach, I mentioned Shane Bieber. And Shane Bieber, I think the Guardians probably won't sh- trade Shane Bieber until this winter. I think he'll probably ride out this season with the Guardians. But after seeing what the Reds just received from Luis Ca- for Luis Castillo from Seattle, um you got to think that the Guardians would get an absolute haul for Shane Bieber. I think it's unlikely Bieber has moved this summer, but Castillo was traded to the Mariners, and the Mariners traded a lot for for um, Louis, Luis Castillo. Two guys I think could be traded from the Guardians are Fran Miel Reyes and Ahmed Rosario. Reyes has been not good at all at the plate this season. Uh, It's hard to imagine there's much of a market from his bat, which proved pretty reliable his first four seasons, but has been deficient this year. Um, I can't see Franmil Reyes fitting on the Guardians roster, especially earning another $4.5 million via arbitration if he doesn't fix his swing this season. You still have Nolan Jones and Oscar Gonzalez who are deserving consistent at-bats. Plus, you have Will Benson, Will Brennan, and Richie Palacios um, in AAA who are going to get some playing time soon. I don't think Reyes is going to be with the team next year, so I think you have to explore trading him. Ahmed Rosario is another guy that I could see getting traded, but I would probably not trade Ahmed Rosario. Um, If it was purely a roster-building decision... Ahmed Rosario would get traded. But if it were a decision based purely on this season, dealing Rosario wouldn't even merit a thought. Um, But the Guardians, like I said, are trying to thread the needle. They're pursuing the AL Central title and adhering to their 
long-term blueprint of developing players and seeing which players are a part of your future plans. Those objectives don't always align, and the result is some difficult conversations. Um, some in the front office may prefer to move Ahmed Rosario now so they can start learning about Gabriel Arias or Tyler Freeman, but that would hinder the Guardians' ability to outlast the Twins and White Sox because Rosario has been very, very good for, this, for the Guardians this season. But they have some decision to make. To make. There is a 40-man roster crunch. Um, players who I think need to be added to the 40-man roster for the Guardians by late November include Bo Naylor, Will Brennan, Xavion Curry, Will Benson, Peyton Battenfield, Hunter Gaddis, Nick Michalachik, Angel Martinez, Ethan Hankins, and Joey Cantillo. That's a lot of players. Now, the team can create some space at the end of the season as it did last year, but loading the 40-man roster with prospects who aren't major league ready is a way to guaranteed, guarantee headaches for the front office. So the front office knows the clock is ticking on getting rid of some of those prospects in a trade. Who do I see them going after? Sean Murphy is my 1A on the Guardians' wish list for the trade deadline. He's an elite defensive catcher. He's an above-average offensive catcher. He's what the Guardians need at catcher catching right now. He's a good bridge catcher for Bo Naylor. He would be perfect. Josh Bell would be great as well. It would allow you to get rid of Franmil Reyes. It would allow you to DH Josh Naylor more and to... Um, Limit the risk of Josh Naylor potentially getting injured again. He's on my list as well. Other areas of help I would like to see the Guardians at least try to address. I think you could always use another starter. I think pitching often wins you championships, wins you playoff games. And I think the Guardians need a solid fourth starter behind Bieber, McKenzie, and Quantrill. I'm not sold on Plezak or Savali, so I would love to see them go add a starter for cheap. And I would also like to see them add another bullpen arm. Because outside of Emmanuel Classe and I would say Trevor Steffen right now, there's not a lot of guys in the Guardians bullpen I trust. You get some good performances occasionally from Eli Morgan, from Angel De Los Santos. But outside of Steffen and Emmanuel Classe. There are no sure things in the Guardians' bullpen, which is why it feels like a battle to get to the ninth because you know Classe is automatic. Emmanuel Classe is having an unreal stretch this season. He's having a Mariano Rivera-type season. Across the last two months, his ERA is .31. I could rave on and on and do a whole podcast episode about how much I love Emmanuel Classe and how good he is, but the Guardians this year only have one loss leading after the eighth inning. Because that means if you turn it over to Class A, you're most likely going to win the game. But it's been a stretch and struggle at times for the Guardians this season to get to the ninth inning, which is why I would like to see them add a reliever. So, like I said, Sean Murphy 1A, Josh Bell 1B, another back-of-the-rotation starter, maybe like a Pablo Lopez, and another bullpen arm. That's my Guardians wish list for the trade deadline. I think it would be a good way to not only get rid of some of those prospects that you need to kind of, you know, get rid of to make your 40-man roster and add those guys who I mentioned to the 40-man roster, but it also will allow you to thread the needle still, keep most of your young talent, and also compete for the AL Central title this year. Let's take a look at the Guardians' upcoming schedule. I will be at the game on Wednesday against the Diamondbacks. They play three games starting tonight against the Diamondbacks in Cleveland. Then they have a tough weekend series, four games against the Astros. 
Then they go to Detroit for a three-game series. Then they go to Toronto for a three-game series before wrapping up the next couple of homestands with four against the Tigers and three against the White Sox. So it's an important stretch of baseball here for the Guardians. Like I said, obviously, they got to keep winning. They got to keep finding ways to do both competing for the AL Central and developing young talent. All right, so now it's time for our Mac football preview. I went to the Mac football media days, and we heard from – I had the chance to sit down with Kent State head coach Sean Lewis, who is entering his fifth year with Kent State football, talk about his expectations for the year. I also spoke with junior wide receiver Dante Cephas, who was recently named to the Blintenkoff Award watch list and the Walter Camp Player of the Year Award watch list. And I also spoke with Kent State senior defensive end Zane West about expectations for his last year. Have a listen, and we will get right into our Mac football preview and predictions after these interviews with those three guys. All right, I'm Jack Burney. I'm here with Kent State head coach Sean Lewis at the House of Blues for 2022 Mac Football Media Day. Coach, first questions, uh, one of the biggest questions coming out of last year is the defense. Obviously, a new defensive coordinator. Just what has he brought to the table, and what do you expect the defense to improve upon this year? Yeah, I mean, Coach Johnson's brought great energy to the program. He's brought great leadership. I think he's been a, a real calming force for the guys on the defensive side of the ball. Um, you know, no one is going to pour more into the defense than him, you know, and, and he's going to do a tremendous job leading our guys to make sure that they like our offense, know what they need to do. They can think fast, know fast, do fast, and, and play with some violence execution, right, to where they're able to play confidently, trust their brothers next to them. And I'm looking forward to seeing the improvement of them playing as a collective unit because each one of them handles their individual responsibilities with great technique and great base fundamentals the right way. Coach, offensively, it was a record-setting season last season. Obviously, Dustin Crum's not going to be there, but you have a new starting quarterback in Colin Schley, a lot of key returners like Marquez Cooper, like Dante Cephas. Just what are you expecting from the offense this year? I know it's going to be flash fast. You're going to get 100 plays in a game, hopefully. Just what are you expecting from the offense this year, and who are some guys maybe see taking a step up this year? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, when you've got a new quarterback coming in, everyone wants to know about that, especially when he's got the shoes to fill that he does. But Colin's got tremendous confidence in his ability, and that's because of the real true work that he's put in in his time that he's been here on campus, right? So feel confident in giving him the, the keys to the car. He's going to go whip it. We are going to go flash fast, like you said. He's got great playmakers around him, right? We got Slim here. We got Coop in the backfield. We have X in the backfield. We have Polk back. We got Chris Leach back, right? We got Tez, who took a big step forward through his bowl preparation. And we got great guys up front, anchored by Sam Allen and Jack Bailey up front, right? So, you know, everyone's going to make a big deal about what, what Schley has to do. And, and obviously, you know, that, that's a big piece of the story. And I get that, and I understand that. All good. But there's 10 other guys around him that are going to be really dynamic for him, and he's going to do a great job distributing the field football and letting those playmakers do their thing as well. Coach, last question. It's year five. Obviously, there's expectations. You're picked second in the Mac East this year. You won the Mac East last year, went to a bowl game. Just what are some of your goals this season? I have a feeling I know how you're going to answer this one, but I just figured I'd ask anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's year five. You know the answer, right? We want to graduate our guys, right? We want to make sure that we do that 100% of the time and not only graduate them, but we're boldly preparing them for life after sports, which I'm really proud of in our time that we've been here. Every single kid that has graduated has gone on to receive a job, right, or they've gone into graduate school. So they either turn pro in something or 
there in graduate school. 100% of our guys that have gotten a degree. So I'm really excited about that. We'll continue to do that first and foremost. But beyond that, then, right, you clean the slate and you got to retain the wheel. You got to win the East. You got to win the league, and you got to find a way to get to one of those New Year's Six bowls. And so everyone thinks because we went to Detroit last year, we just get dropped there this year, and now we just got to finish it. It doesn't work that way, right? And our guys have done a tremendous job working this off season to lay the foundation that we need to build upon this camp so we can continue to grow and improve and compete each and every single day. So ready to get after it. Awesome. Thanks, Coach. Yep. Thanks, Jack. Sweet. What's up, everybody? I'm Jack Bernie here with uh, Kent State defensive end Zane West. Zane, how, first off, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. Good? I'm good. So um, what can we expect from you this season and the defense this season? Obviously, you have a new defensive coordinator. Just what are you guys looking to do as a unit this season? Uh, just play together, play, play that, that the fast, like the offenses, but our soul collective style defense, you know what I'm saying? We just want to play tough, make sure we fly into the ball, make sure everybody's doing their 111, just playing with high energy and having fun out there, like the brotherhood. What have you What have you noticed from Coach, uh, the defense, new defensive coordinator Johnson in practice? What has he brought to the table in terms of uh, He's definitely a player's coach. Um, he's going to be the first one in the locker room with us and making sure, checking on how our day is off rip, and then just also just energy. He wants it to be more of a player-led um, style of football, like not the coaches yelling all the time. He wants the players to see things and, and speak on it as soon as they see it, just not let it keep going and drag throughout practice. So that's one of the things I noticed. This is your last year? Yes, yeah, sir. So it's your last year. Obviously, you went to the MAC Championship last year. You went to a bowl game last year. Just what are some of the goals you have, this being your last year, both individually and as a team this year? Uh, all together, I just want to send our seniors off the right way. Uh, some I really think about from last year, just didn't finish it off. So I want to finish my senior year and the guys around me off the right way and just Ended off as being a great leader and someone that always worked hard and came in and put their head down and worked. So. Awesome. Thank you, man. That's Appreciate good. Appreciate you. Yep. I'm Jack Bernie with TV2. We're here at Mac Football Media Day at the House of Blues with Kent State wide receiver Dante Sivas. Dante, uh, just last week you were named to the Blintenkoff Award watch list. Just what does it mean to you to be honored in that way and recognized in that way? It actually means a lot, but uh, this is just preseason, so I still got a lot of work to do mm -hmm. and hoping postseason make that happen. Colin Schley is taking over the starting quarterback. Just what do you think he brings to the table as a quarterback and what can we expect from you guys as an offense this year? Uh, Colin brings a lot. I mean, he's been working since freshman year, working to get the spot. Uh, I think the offense is going to be flash fast like always. And I think yeah, we're the 1,200 yards last season, nine touchdowns. You've gotten better each and every year you've been in this offense. Just what do you expect from yourself this season? What are some numbers or some milestones that you're going for this year? Uh, I don't really like to set milestones. <laughs> you're good. I just like to uh, just to go out on the ball. You know? Coach, Coach Lewis obviously puts us in the right positions to go and do that. And yeah, I just. Yeah. All right, man. Well, that's great. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming. Yep. So there you hear it from Kent State head coach Sean Lewis, Dante Sivas, and Zane West about some of their expectations for the MAC this season. Let's get to my ex uh, expectations for the MAC this season. But first, we got some breaking news into Jack of All Trades. Breaking news: It is not NFL news. It has been as it has been a day full of NFL news. It is MLB news in the Cleveland Guardians, and the Cleveland Guardians are calling up twenty forty year old. Outfield prospect Will Benson to the major leagues from Columbus. Benson will make his major league debut this week in the series against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Benson currently leads the International League in OPS, on-base percentage, and walks. 
Benson was a first-round pick in 2016. He's shown a lot of promise. The Guardians, not the Guardians, excuse me, the Columbus Clippers, the AAA affiliate of the Cleveland Guardians, have started playing Benson at first base. So maybe this is an indication that Josh Naylor is going to maybe face an IL scent maybe. Or it's an indication that maybe Franmil Reyes is on the way out. Just wanted to give you guys that update before we get into our MAC football preview. All right, let's get into this MAC football preview. So first things first, the MAC football. Uh, I'll read you the MAC media poll. Um, I voted in the MAC media poll the last two years. I voted for it this year as well. And let me just show you, tell you guys the results of the media poll for football. Tell you who they have winning the West and the East. So in the East. Last year, Kent State was picked to win the East. Kent State won the East. This year, it is the Miami Red Hawks who are picked to win the Eastern Division. The Miami Red Hawks have a quarterback returning in Brett Gabbert. Gabbert is one of the best quarterbacks in the MAC. He is um, one of the 16 starters that Miami is returning from a squad that went 7-6 and six last year and captured the Frisco Football Classic in 2021. Uh, Brett Gabbert's on the Maxwell Award and Davey O'Brien Award watch list. He threw for 26 touchdowns and over 2,000 yards last year. Miami's picked to finish first. They almost won the MAC East last year, but Kent State outlasted them at Dick Stadium in the final week of the regular season in a 48-47 thriller in overtime. Kent State beat Miami. So Miami's in first place. They got 20 out of 24 first place votes. They got 139 points. Kent State was picked to finish second. They got three first place votes and 116 points. Buffalo was picked to finish third with 78 points. Ohio was picked to finish fourth with 72 points. Bowling Green got one first place vote and was picked to finish fifth with 71 points. And Akron was picked to finish sixth with 28 points. In the West Division, Northern Illinois is favored to win the MAC once again. They won the MAC West last year and won the MAC championship eventually falling in their bowl game. But they're picked to win the West Division. Um, NIU posted a nine-win season last year, and they returned a total of 18 starters off last year's championship team. They got 11 first-place votes and 122 points. Toledo was picked to finish second with nine first-place votes and 120 points. Central Michigan was picked to finish third with four first-place votes and 112 points. Western Michigan picked fourth with 56 points. Eastern Michigan picked fifth with 52 points. And Ball State finished, picked to finish sixth with 42 points. In terms of who people picked to win the MAC championship, nine votes went to Northern Illinois, six votes went to Toledo, five went to Miami, and four went to Central Michigan. So Northern Illinois is favored to win the MAC this year. And my predictions are very, very similar to what the MAC media poll says. I also had Miami winning the East, although I think it is very, very close between Kent State and Miami, and I think it's a toss-up, but I give it to Brett Gabbert. Um, I think the Red Hawks should be the favorite in the East Division. Um, Gabbert won't have his favorite 21, 2021 target in Jack Sorensen, but they have Jalen Walker and Mac Hippenhammer, who are back to run it out, who are running it back on the outside. They have a returning cast of experienced running backs, four starters on the offensive line coming back. Coach Chuck Martin's defense brought, brings back six starters. Um, the home date against Kent State on October 8th should decide the winner of the MAC East. But I, I, I have Miami 1 and then I have Kent State 2. Um, 
the Golden Flashers are going to miss quarterback Dustin Crum. He won the MAC Player of the Year award last year. He had a great career at Kent State. Uh, led them to two bowl games. Um, he's now with the Kansas City Chiefs preparing for training camp. But I don't think his departure is going to keep Kent State from contention the MAC this year. Because I know Colin Schley, and Colin Schley is a good player. Very talented player, very athletic player, and a live arm. He is going to be pretty good for Kent State this season. He impressed last year in limited snaps. Uh, and he is going to inherit the high-powered flash-fast offense which averaged 33 points a game last year. They returned running backs Marquez Cooper, who was on the Maxwell Award watch list, and Xavier Williams, who ran for... Xavier Williams ran for 800 yards last year. Marquez Cooper ran for 1,200 yards last year. And receivers Dante Cephas and Jayshon Polk. Um, they replaced three starters along their offensive line, which I think is the biggest offensive concern for Coach Lewis. But... The biggest concern for the team is defense. Um, they surrendered 37.6 points in MAC contests last year as an average. Um, their defense was not good, but they do have a new coordinator in Jeremiah Johnson. The biggest concern for Maya for the run de- uh, the defense is the run defense, which averaged 206 yards per game last year, given up. But I think new coordinator Jeremiah Johnson is going to come in, and the defense is going to be ready to roll. The non-conference schedule features games against. Um, Washington, Oklahoma, and Georgia, which are obviously a gauntlet of a non-conference schedule. If Kent State can survive those three September games without many injuries and find a few answers on defense, they have another run at the conference title in them. I'm picking them second in the MAC East. Third in the MAC East, I'm going to pick Bowling Green as a little bit of a wild card here. Um, Coach Scott Leffler hasn't gotten off to a great start at Bowling Green, but I think the Falcons can have a good year this year. Um, they're an experienced roster uh, that have 17 returning starters. They took the two MAC championship um, participants last year, Kent State and Northern Illinois, down to the wire and lost one-score games. Um, they have a good defense with uh, Carl Brooks, Darren Anders, Davion Ferguson. Remember, they beat Minnesota last year. Um, quarterback Matt McDonald is back along with a collection of some skilled players like running back Terion Stewart, tight end Christian Sims. Um, Jakari Robinson is a Memphis transfer who is going to be an offensive tackle. Um, both Miami and Kent State play at Bowling Green this fall. So Bowling Green's got a chance to surprise some people, and I think they will surprise some people by finishing third in the MAC East. Fourth in the MAC East, I'm going to take Buffalo. Um it's, they do have a first-year coach in Maurice Linguist. Uh, actually, he's a second-year coach. He coached them last year. Buffalo went 4-8 and eight last year. It was a disappointing season for Buffalo. They lost a handful of players to the portal, and they only returned only nine overall starters. Buffalo did replace some of the guys they lost via the transfer portal with some additions in the transfer portal, like receivers Justin Marshall and Booby Curry, quarterback Cole Snyder, and a couple offensive line pickups. Uh, they do get all-max selection James Patterson and lineman George Wolo back. So this team is going to be talented. I think they have the talent to do better than fourth in the Mackies, but that's where I see them finishing. Fifth in the MAC East, I'm going to go with Ohio. 
Um, they have another second-year head coach in Tim Albin. They went 3-9 and nine last year, the, uh, which was Ohio's lowest win total since 2003. Um, they're going to need to improve on their offense. Quarterback Cade R- Curtis Rourke is coming back. Um, their number one running back. They need a new number one running back because Demontre Tuggle left and graduated. They have a new offensive coordinator, uh, new defensive coordinator, Spence Nowinski, who's got to work on the defense that allowed six yards per play and 28 points per game in Mac games last year. They have a level of experience returning. Um, I think this, uh, the defense needs to lead the way until the pieces fall into place on offense, which is why I'm picking Ohio fifth in the Mac East. Six in the Mac East, I'm going to go with Akron. Um, the Zips are just 3-27 and over the last three years, but they took a big step towards improvement this offseason, definitely. Um, they hired former Mississippi State and Fordham head coach Joe Moorhead, who was most recently a coordinator at Oregon as the new um, head coach. And I think he should make Akron more competitive in the MAC in short order. But the Zips have the same some ground to make up after averaging only 20 points per game last year's season and allowing 37 points per game in MAC games last year. Moorhead improved the roster with uh, transfer portal additions in quarterback Jeff Underclufer from the University of Albany, running back Cam Wiley from Minnesota, wide receivers Shockey Jacques Lewis from Pittsburgh, and Alex Adams from LSU, and defenders Tim Terry, KJ Martin, and Victor Jones. Um, Bubba Arslanian is returning for the Zips. Um, so Akron's going to be better, but I just don't see them finishing higher than six just because it is the first year under Coach Moorhead. I think they take some positive step forward, steps forward this year. I think they lose a lot of close games, but I see them finishing six. I don't see them making any noise at all. In the MAC West, I do have Northern Illinois winning the MAC West, so I, I do chalk it up like the media poll. Um, the Huskies were one of the most improved teams in the nation last fall. Um... They picked up a win over a Power 5 opponent last year in Georgia Tech. They beat Toledo and avenged a regular season loss to Kent State with a win against the Golden Flashes in the MAC title game. They returned 17 starters. Michigan State transfer quarterback Rocky Lombardi shined last year in DeKalb. Um, Trayvon Rudolph returns, who was their top receiver. He had a 309 yards against in the game against Kent State. They return. Uh, a deep backfield led by Harrison Whaley and Ontario Brown. Uh, repeating as a conference champion is never easy, but the path to another crown for Northern Illinois means the defense needs to improve. Last year's defense gave up 34 points a game. Um, I think their October 8th home matchup against Toledo will decide who wins the MAC West. Much like uh, the October 8th matchup between Kent State and Miami will decide who wins the MAC East. Second place in the MAC West, I have Toledo. Um, the Rockets are twenty-four and twenty over the last four seasons, uh, with be- a little better luck and slight improvement on both sides of the ball. I can see them being the best team in the MAC. They need to replace running back Bryant K- uh, Kobach, uh, quarterback DeQuan Finn, who had twenty-seven touchdowns and twenty-five hundred total yards last year. He's a rising star as a quarterback. They bring up four starters on the offensive line, along with receiver Devin Maddox. Um. I think uh, Toledo had probably the best defense in the MAC last year. They led the conference in fewest yards per play, 
and scoring defense last year. I think they're going to rank near the top of the conference once again, thanks to eight returning starters. And I think Toledo could definitely reach the MAC championship game. So I have them finishing second. Um, finishing third, I have Central Michigan. The Chippewas finished 2021 by winning seven out of their last eight games and beating Washington State in the Sun Bowl. Coach Jim McElwain's squad has uh, holes to fill on both sides of the ball, but they have enough talent to win the MAC West. And those three teams, Northern Illinois, Toledo, and Central Michigan, overall I think are the three best teams in the MAC, slightly ahead of Miami and Kent State. Uh, they bring back Sweet Lou Nichols, the running back who ran for eight, 1,800 yards last year. Uh, he powers the offense that averaged 32 points a game. Quarterback Daniel Richardson is also coming back. Um, they did lose a lot on defense, but they, they won't have to play any of the top two teams, in my opinion, in the East in Miami or Kent State. But the tough games and why I have Central Michigan finishing third is because they do have to play Northern Illinois and Toledo on the road this year. Fourth in the MAC West, I have Western Michigan um, restocking their high-powered offense. They lost quarterback Caleb Ellaby and receivers Sky Moore and Jalen Moore. Um, Jack Salopik, Stone Hollenbach, and Marion Herbrowski are battling for Caleb Ellaby's spot at quarterback. And until the passing game is settled, uh, they should lean on their one-two punch of Sean Tyler and Ladarius Jefferson, their two running backs, who ran for 2,000 combined yards last year. Western's got a lot of talent, but I don't think they have as much talent to compete with those top three in the West. Same with Eastern Michigan. Um, Eastern Michigan went to their fourth bowl in six years last year. And I think getting back to the postseason in a bowl starts with their quarterback, who is a Troy and former who is a former Troy and former Missouri quarterback Taylor Powell. Um, twenty twenty one starter Ben Bryant returned to Cincinnati. Powell has plenty of pieces to work with around him as the Eagles return arguably the best receiving corps in the max thanks to the return of Hassan Baydon, Tanner Cunu, and Dylan Dr- Drummond. Um, they have an experienced offensive line. They have experience on defense with Jose Ramirez, not the Guardians' Jose Ramirez, Eastern Michigan's Jose Ramirez, who had six and a half sacks last year returning this fall. And sixth place, I have the Ball State Cardinals. They're 13 8th, and they've made back to back bowl trips, but their squad is, has question marks to address in order to reach six victories once again. The biggest one is quarterback because they have to replace three year starter Drew Pitt under center. John Paddock is going to be the front runner to replace him, but he's only attempted 34 passes since 2018. Uh, the offense has a lot to improve on. Only five starters return on the offensive side of the ball. The defense is solid. They have a lot of uh, starters returning, but they do have three starters they need to replace in the secondary. So my MAC championship, I have Northern Illinois beating Miami. Teams I have qualifying for bowls in the MAC are Miami. Kent State, Northern Illinois, Toledo, Central Michigan, and Western Michigan. Those are the six MAC teams I see making bowls this year. And I'm excited for MAC action and college football to get started once again. And let me do a quick check for breaking news. Don't think we have any right now. And if we don't...
yeah, that is going to do it for this week's episode. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. Go ahead and follow the podcast on Instagram at Jote Sports Pod. Be sure to follow me on Twitter, both at the Real J Burns with a Z at the end and at Jack Burney TV for some videos from today's training camp session for the Browns. Um, and we will catch you all next week with another award-winning episode. Until then, I've been Jack Burney, signing off.